Hello, and welcome to another episode of Profiles of Endurance. I'm Father Scott Vanderveer. Today's guest wishes only to give us her first name because she's going to share very frankly about what was a very difficult time in her life. The birth of a child is always a cause for joy, but when that birth is unexpected and comes in the middle of your high school career, when you're an only child from a family with great expectations for your future, the challenges for a young person are phenomenal. Lisa shares with us about the decision she made to keep that child and to raise him and what it was like to be perceived by others after having made that choice. Her story goes on to meeting someone who she could share her life with and then blending their two families together as one. She experienced life as an entrepreneur when what started off as a wild hair of an idea turned into a decade of her family's life. And then she talks about moving away from that stage of life to a completely new stage and about finding faith along the journey. This will be a special two-episode conversation because the richness of what we shared is way too much for one sitting. So we ask you to settle in and listen to part one of this conversation with a fairly young woman still at this point in her life who's crammed about three lifetimes into her life so far and has no plans to stop anytime soon. Listen as she shares some of the most tender and intimate moments of her life with her pastor. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. And let's start back actually at the very beginning. Help us to get to know you a little bit by uh, telling us a little bit about your, your family life and what family life and what faith was like growing up. Okay, well, I am an only child. Um, my my mother and father were divorced when I was just a baby, so um, I was raised by my mother and my stepfather, um, both of whom were um, professional. Um, they worked in technology on the banking industry, but on the technology side. Um, so they they worked together and um, they raised me. My stepfather was a um, from a big Irish Catholic family, hmm. and um, my mother was. Um, I don't think she was raised with any faith, but became um, engaged with um, a Presbyterian church at some point, and then became very with them when I was very, very, very young. So um, she was the deacon at that, and it was the church that my family went to. So, um, you know, I grew up in a pretty normal household. Um, we had a nice home in a nice, typical New Jersey suburban neighborhood. Um, we went to church often, like so my mother's involvement there had me there all the time. Hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, as a kid, you know, I wasn't like a super devout child of by any stretch of the imagination, but always um, had like a strong connection to... Uh, the idea that that God is good, you know, and uh, when I think of like, my childhood, I always I have these like simple prayers, um, 
I'm always reminded of when I think of that time. No prayers they teach you as like a little kid. Like God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. You know, it was like stay before snack time. But like I had that one too. That's my exact prayer. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. And it always struck me that the great followed by the good was different than I would have written it. I would have said God is good. God is great. But of course, it just it wasn't mine to write. It's funny, right? And it's just like my my knowledge and my memory of my relationship with God at that time was like so simple. It was just as simple as that prayer. It was, you know, God is good. And when I would be scared at night, I would remember those simple little prayers or the Lord's Prayer. And I always just felt comforted by that. And I knew, you know, the people in the church also gave me that same feeling. I definitely saw like the felt the community and the general goodness. Um so it was, you know, like I said, it was, it was simple for me when I was when I was young. Um, but as I grew older, <laughs> I think I just kind of grew indifferent to it. Um, ah. You know, it was like, it just, I think as I got older, I started to, um, I don't know, I, I think I, maybe I created excitement and the church life felt a little boring to me. Um, I, yeah. you know, my friends were definitely different than some of the kids I started to hang out with at school. Uh, I started to not want to be as engaged in the church activities and do more things outside of that. So it wasn't like a, there was anything that turned me. There was no, um, you know, there was no contempt of any sort. It was just an, a growing indifference and this feeling of like that there might be something more exciting out there that I should be doing. Ah, you know, and it's, it's interesting because listening to that, that, that very natural adolescent shift, I wondered if it was made a little bit more complicated by the fact that your mom was a deacon. Was there any pressure on you or do you perceive any pressure on her to have a very churchy daughter during that time? Uh, yeah, there probably was for her. I don't think I was the kind of daughter that really considered too much of that. But no, I think I did. Feel like, <laughs> the, um, you know, as the, the pastor would be the leader of our youth groups or, you know, I, I definitely sensed that there was a, uh, you know, she had a more of a relationship with them than some of the other parents. But like I said, young, I don't know if I considered that too much, but she probably, uh, she probably felt it more than I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know as a priest, I spend quite a bit of time consoling parents who have teenagers that are pulling away socially, emotionally, and, and spiritually. And I try to help them know that that is very developmentally appropriate and it's not necessarily a bad sign. It's, you know, but it can be hard for the parent. But in, a, in addition to that shift, you also, in your teenage years, wound up having a, a very unexpected change in the course of your life. And that, that's, that would be a big deal for anybody. And I, I think it's something we can really learn from. Do you mind chatting with us a bit about that unexpected change in your life? Sure. So um, I guess, you know, well, I guess what started as a natural tendency to want to gravitate towards more exciting things, you know, just kind of progressed. I think, you know, my, my whole high school years, um, you know, I was really, you know, my social life was the highest priority. You know, I had a lot of friends, I did a lot of things. I hated being home. I hated being alone. It was always like, go, 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 go. Let's do mm, this. Mm. 
Um, and, you know, now when I look back at that time, I feel like I can easily see that I was, you know, a typical kid looking for love and attention in all the wrong places. But at the time, it didn't feel like that. It felt like, uh, it felt normal. You know, I was there yeah. with all my friends. It didn't, it didn't feel like I was, I was so out of the ordinary um, to me then. But, um, you know, so long story short, at um, 17, just before my senior year of high school, I found out that I was pregnant. So um, that, you know, kind of dramatically changed the course of uh, wherever it was I was going prior to that uh, and threw myself and my family into, um, you know, a whole different reality. How, how long were you the only one to know that you were pregnant? What is that moment like to know? And how long do you keep that to yourself? Um, you know... Mm, not long. I think I told my friends right away. I think a, a good friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine was involved in helping me find out. You know, there was a moment of like, oh man, I think this is going on. Ah. And we find this out together. And then a moment of, oh man, I got to tell my mom. Oh, you know? yes. <laughs> so, I, I mean, not long because I don't really, I'm not the kind of person that likes to sit with emotion for a long time. I'd rather just get it over with. But So I don't think there was... Um, a lot of time between me knowing for sure and me um, telling my mother, but then there was a good, there was a little bit of time between the time that I, you know, told her and the time that I knew which direction I was going to go based on where we were at. <laughs> yes, yeah. What what kind of a response did you get talking to your mom? Um. Well, you know, response is is. It's funny because I think, you know, when I, again, when I look back at it, I think that, you know, naturally you can't even control this. And I think it, regardless of your situation, I think at some level, every woman feels a little bit excited and happy when they find out that they're, they're pregnant. Even when you're in a situation like that, but yes. When you're in a situation like that and you're pregnant at 17, you know, the, the world doesn't congratulate you. So, you know, mm. it's not the same experience. So, you know, the the first conversation, I think I pretty much could have written down the exact response that my mom had. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it, that everybody kind of had a similar response. So I think, you know... It, it was strange. Like, I think I felt, um, I felt this pressure of like, you know, I knew I had options and I felt the pressure of, um, generally speaking, it felt like I was being pushed in the direction of not keeping the baby. But Ah. oddly, it was all like good natured pressure. It was like, you know, the adults in my life are telling me this because they fully understand the struggles that I'm going to face if I'm if I choose to do this mm-hmm. um, and my friends took more of an approach of why would you ruin your life if you don't have to you mm. know and, and it was you know it was always clear to me that it was my decision it was you know I, nobody forced me in any direction but I, I think that generally I, I knew that that's that's where people were you know were leading me were you anguished by the decision or was there a point of, of, of real clarity or, or, or was it was it quite clear or was it maybe never clear? I could understand that that would be a, a really hard place to, to feel solid in. 
when the when the consequences are so great in every direction. Yeah, you know, and again, this is only clear to me looking back on it now. But um, I think that there was a moment I did not know. I did not know. I was listening to everybody. I was feeling my own feelings. I was, you know, progressing through this time period. Um, and then eventually the time comes where you have to, you know, your, your back is up against the wall and you've got to make a decision. So um, I was in a doctor's office. You know, my mom brought me to a doctor and I'm in the doctor's office and the doctor is going over <laughs> decisions and the choices that I have. And I think now when I look back on it, it was, you know, being a child myself, even though I knew I had these options, my understanding of them were was also very childlike. Ah. But, because there was no way for me to really know in reality what any of these choices were going to lead to. Yes. So when when I heard a doctor telling me what these options were, it was became very clear to me what I wasn't going to do. So ah. I think I had that moment of like I went into that office really having no idea how it was going to go. I kind of knew where my mother wanted me to land, but where I thought I did anyway, you know, and, and when I went in there and I talked to him, I just left knowing uh, what I couldn't do. I didn't really understand what I had signed up to do, but I left there going, you know what? And those are, those are not options for me. So this is the only one that's left and this is what I'm doing. But what wow. I, did, I, did I know what I was doing? No, not really, you know, and even if I had chosen another path, I didn't really know much about what that would be like either. So it yeah. was just, I think it was that very childlike connection to what's good and what's not good. And I just went with it. You know, it was like, all right, this is, this is, this is bad and this is better. So yeah. You know? Wow. Wow. And there is so, there, I'm realizing how much support you were in need of. Is, is there a way that all of us who uh, who love young women and want to be want to be a support to young women what can we do to help them at a time like that you know i that's a really hard question because you know i could look back and say you know if i had known some things that i know now I, that decision may not have been what it was you know so mm. I, I don't know sometimes the things that aren't said are okay you know uh. and I, sometimes it's no, I don't know. I don't know if at that moment, um, you know, I think it's hard to feel disappointment in people, you know, but again, now as a parent, I, I can see why, you know, why my parents would be disappointed, you know, like, mm. so I can't even say with real certainty that, you know, being more supportive or not being disappointed or not, you know, saying this or, I don't really know what that is what the right answer is because it's just so um I don't know maybe just help somebody giving them the space to I guess the best thing that happened for me was that I had the space to make that decision on my own mm. um, you know as much as I as much as I could and I don't know I feel like all of the the places that you know there was pressure you know it was appropriate it was you know it was what it was yeah Wow. So, so you, you, you chose to, to have this baby and you went through then the, the months of pregnancy. Talk to us a little bit about becoming a young mother. Were you 17 when he was born? Uh, yeah. So I was 17. I was just before my senior year of high school. So, you know, immediately what changed was, um, I actually, I went to my, my 
senior year of high school. I went to the first day. Um, I thought maybe I could be that person that, you know, there was one other girl in my high school who walked the halls visibly pregnant at one point in time while I was there. I don't even recall her name, but I do remember it happening. Um, so ah. in, my, in, in my mind, I thought maybe, maybe I could do this. But I got there on the first day, and I, my mind was not, it was so apparent to me that, like, I cannot do this. I cannot sit in these rooms and, like, pretend like this is not going on and focus. You know, I can't. So I immediately just walked down to the guidance counselor and told them my situation and asked for some options. So I had already, um, I was a decent student. You know, I was... Um, socially active I wasn't a great student at the time but I I, <laughs> I was where I needed to be and maybe a little further along so I really didn't have a lot of classes that I had to take yeah um, remember I had to take you know like maybe two classes and a, and an elective so she recommended that I just do that in night school and I would be able to complete the requirements that you know the state have get my diploma actually early um and you know, that would be it. That was, you know, that was my my senior year. So I, 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 you know, didn't drop out. I finished, you know, through their night school program. Wow. And I, I did that at night. I got a job during the day. Um, I worked at a flower shop during the day. It's my first time as like a young person being involved with adults during the day. <laughs> oh, yes. It's funny. I, I got a job at a flower shop and I, you know, it was different. I, I remember... I didn't want anybody to know I was pregnant. I happened to be pretty, like, small-framed at the time. So I just wore, you know, there weren't any cute maternity clothes. I wore big baggy shirts and sweatpants. And, I, you know, I remember my, one of my last uh. days of working at a deli that I had ordered lunch from every day. You know, I had told him this was my last day. And he's like, oh, what's going on? What happened? Did you get fired? And I said, no, you know, actually, I'm, like, you know, nine months pregnant. I'm about to have a baby. <laughs> and he, uh, <laughs> he this funny like what you know so I mean I think I, I hit it pretty well um I, really yeah. didn't, I didn't really tell anybody it, it was kind of a you know it was like just hey this is what's going on this is what what, what I'm doing you know I'm gonna work I'm gonna go to school at night and I'm gonna have this baby so my son was born in March um of you know what would have been my senior year I obviously didn't go to a prom or do any of that stuff so wow yeah. I spent the spring um, with an infant while my friends were, you know, completing their, their senior year. And then, you know, the the next, um, the next like, the, that whole time period probably was, was really, was rough. You know, you had us, like, just in general, it was, um, that was probably the hardest time. You know, it's like there's, when I think back on it, I just remember... Early on, so from the time that I, you know, you have no way to hide something like that, even with big baggy clothes, like it's there. So there's like a visible sign that you have the, you know, that you have a baby. And I looked really young, so people would always stare at me. Um, I would get looked, and you know, like people aren't very good at having disgust on their face when they, not that it's always disgust, some level of like improvement or shame on you or wow. Oh my God. Uh, so that started probably while I was I I was physically pregnant, and then after that, you have a baby with you. So the same thing continues. You know, you you physically have a visible sign that says to everybody, you know, you're different than other girls your age. So I think that like 
you know, I remember even in the hospital, like my birthing experience is not like none of these experiences are the happy, joyous moments that they are for people who have children in normal circumstances. You know, the the doctors were generally condescending. You know, the nurses singing. You know, there was always a feeling of like you know, lack of confidence or some kind of judgment about, you know, my lifestyle. You just kind of always felt this pressure. And then with the baby, same thing. Like, I remember being, you know, out on playgrounds and often assumed to be a nanny. And people would talk to me fine when they thought I was a nanny, but if somehow it came out that I was the mother, it was like a totally different tone. And Wow. change of gear would happen and you know so you just had a lot of experiences like that and I think you know it 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 fractured me in a very in a way that I just didn't even give credit to at the time but it it really didn't feel like um there was really no path to wholeness you know I was not um a family I didn't have you know my son's father was in the picture it was always me from the beginning Mm. um my parents very supportive but um but it's different you know there's always you know as a parent I understand this now but there's always a feeling of like support but it's wrapped in fear right is she gonna is is, you know what's gonna happen next you know so I think I got a real strong dose of that coming from every angle and um you know it, it really motivated me in a way it terrified me it terrified me but it motivated me like I've never been motivated before it was like you know I cannot become a statistic I cannot let these people you know think that like become what all these people think I'm gonna become so I um I just decided that that was just not gonna happen so I end up uh, I enrolled in community college um and I started so my son was born in March I enrolled over the summer and I started in fall so at the same time all of my other friends were you know I would have graduated with were college I did as well so I I ended up um I went to so during that time I did two years of community college I had um I had a babysitter for my son for a couple the two days that I would go to school I put all my classes into two days and then I would be home with him for the other three days um I did really well there I pursued school like you know, like I said, I had something to prove and I, mm. <laughs> I just kind of went for it and it gave me an outlet. So, um, you know, I, you know, but it was funny. It was like, I had different ages, you know, so my, I had my home life, which is where I was having, you know, on my first with this baby, you know, I was, it was sleepless nights and teasing and, you know, my parents were kind of like sharing that experience with me and then I'd go to school and at school, I would be somebody totally different. And it was like, I really, like I said, the, this is where like the fracture thing comes up. I really loved being at school because the baby wasn't with me. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, you felt a little guilty, but what, honestly, what ended up happening is I just didn't, I didn't share that part of my life with anybody. When I was there and I saw in people, like I'd have professors, I this is a crazy story. I had a professor that I got really close to. Um, he was a great mentor to me. He was a literature professor. And I just, you know, we, we just connected so much so that he asked me once if I would babysit for his daughter, who was at the time 30 something and had two kids. <laughs> and I said, yes. And then I go home and I tell my mom, I was like, mom, you got to watch Stone for me because I get to go babysit, you know, like, <laughs> and I still 
tell him that I had a baby at home himself. You know, it was like I, I couldn't bring myself to see like eventually I did eventually I did come to him because we were we were close but I just like in my mind I like didn't want to have that moment when when somebody looked at me and saw this like great student um who was so much potential then that you know to see disappointment in them I just didn't want to so I didn't I didn't share that um Lisa I think that you are blowing a lot of our minds mine included because I am so grateful for your your willingness to share the feeling of fracture what my the reason I think a lot of us are are amazed at this and we're hearing something maybe for the first time is that a, most of the listeners listening to this are very likely to be Catholic people who are part of a very strongly pro-life church, one that, you know, advocates for life choice in every juncture, um, from the womb to the tomb. And I think a lot, I remember having a thought related to what you're telling us, and that is when I taught uh, Catholic high school, there was occasionally in the, in the mid 2000s, the mid aughts, that first decade of the 2000s when I was teaching there, there was occasionally a, a, a pregnant teenage girl. And I remember thinking that, um, that there were probably many other young people who were connected to pregnancy, but because of different choices, we never knew that. And so they never incur- incurred any kind of judgment. And yet, though we were a pro-life school and a pro-life people, there was some of what you're describing the whole, well, why did, why did she let that happen? And, you know, why is, why is her lifestyle that? And, and so I guess I'm just really struck by you saying that from the doctors to the nurses to the, to the profet, there was a real culture of, um, you should be ashamed for, for this having happened. Maybe it's devoid from the issue of choice. Rather than being celebrated for the choice you made, it almost was as if people's interest wasn't in the life choice. It was in the circumstance that could have led to it. Even though it's the oldest story in the human family. I mean, this is like, this is not hard to understand at all. Anyone who has been a teenager or knows teenagers understands perfectly how things can happen. What, what, I think all of us are scratching our heads listening to this going, we really are missing the ball on how to support young women in crisis situations. We, we put, you were in a very, you, you were in a very hard position, especially because Lisa, you were set up up until this time this happened. You were a good student who was fit and was from a a middle-class, maybe upper middle-class family in a good neighborhood at a good school. You were, you were winning at life. Yet you were looked at and treated as somebody because of this choice you made. Um, for for screwing up your life. It's almost interesting that you say that because I think sometimes, um, you know, some of that even led to more of the pressure, right? So I think sometimes there was, again, like having that background and that upbringing, the expectation was that I would turn out a lot different, you know? So it was like that this option happening now was not ever part of anybody's, you know, it was, it was not good, you know, there oh. was not too much that was, that was good. I mean, I think, like I said, my, my 
ultimately it turned out well, you know, like my, I think my, when my parents got over the, the shock of it, I mean, there's nobody in the world I think they love more than my son, but mm. you know, it's still, like I said, it was hard for everybody, I think, to fully support it, you know, and with the whole heart and soul, you know, I, I don't think you, and I didn't realize that you don't realize this until you have a different experience. You know what I mean? I don't even, like, again, you don't know what you don't know. So at the time, it wasn't really, I felt the pressure, and I felt the stigma for sure, but um, I didn't know exactly how different it could be. Yes, 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 yes. It's 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 a fascinating glimpse. You're, you're really being generous to give us a glimpse into that. Wow. And I just think all of us, I think I'd like to take a second and just say to the listeners, if you are as shocked at hearing this firsthand as I am, what could we do differently for today's young women that are carrying children? For those of us who have watched things like the MTV show Teen Mom and drawn whatever conclusions we've drawn from watching a reality show like that, what is it that we could do that could be more loving, more supportive, more understanding? Because... Um, yeah, I think we could all agree that it is rare to meet teenagers who are really good at resisting the temptation to look for love in the wrong places, wherever those places are. I think we all know that most teenagers fall into some trap of um, stumbling as they're learning to walk into adulthood. But, uh, but yeah, to, to have somebody uh, be treated like as long as as we don't know that you've got any any struggles or any kind of conflict going on in your growing up, we can support you and uh, be standing there to applaud you as you walk into your future. But if something occurs that doesn't follow the plan that society really celebrates, um, you'll know it. You'll know it in a major way over and over again. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you yeah. for that. You know, it's funny as you were saying that, you know what you can do that's really specific and that's sort of just been like, if I could have anything to <laughs> advise anybody on the most uh, atrocious thing or the most irritable thing that I think would happen to me all the time is, you know, immediately after somebody would see me with my son, I'd say, you know, once we got over the fact that I wasn't the nanny and I was the mother, you know, that they would, I mean, the very most thing out of their mouth was always how old are you and wow immediately it was like judgment was just like right right there it wasn't like you know it was usually almost always like that and i i mean to this day i hate being asked how old i am for any reason because of that it was yes just like, a weird question you would never ask that to anybody unless you felt entitled you know, if you felt better than they were in some way, like, you know, like you would never ask a woman how old she is in general. Like that's just kind of rude, right? All the yes. time. In that situation, no one ever felt like it was rude. They just felt like I would have right to ask you this. Clearly, you know, like but for what reason? I don't know, you know, but it was, it was a constant and it drove me berserk. <laughs> wow. If we could just not ask how old are you, we would be treating those mothers with a lot more respect. Right. It's a simple thing. Simple thing. Because it really does not matter. It does. It really does not matter to the stranger encountering for this, you know, moment. It's just a nice way of them letting me know how they feel. You know, you know what I thought you were going to say? I appreciate hearing that. And it's different than I thought. I thought as you were, as you were starting to speak that you were going to say, offer to babysit. 
Did you did you get offers? No, no, because I, I think most of the time people people would assume you know I, I most of the time the young mother guy you know I felt like there was they they didn't think I was a good mother and they were that you we didn't have that time that time to build that kind of relationship with them and those quick encounters you know most of the encounters you're having as a mother like I said you're you're out and about you're doing a story time or you're at a playground or whatever it's I didn't have a lot of a, a lot of friends you know when I did connect with I was so much younger than all those moms those moms weren't like reaching out to me to try and be my friend um you know once I did I maybe I can pinpoint one or two people at that time that you know I I would call friends that had children. They were obviously like 12, 15 years older than I was sometimes. But oh. um, you know, once, once people knew me, they would think, you know, I would be worthy of babysitting their children. But most people were just judging me as somebody who was irresponsible. <laughs> oh, Lisa, what a, I'll tell you, what a, what a, an amazing workout for spiritual uh, humility. I mean, I just feel like you were given the opportunity to uh, to live two different lives. The life before becoming a mother, where you were this upwardly mobile, young, good student and, and athlete, and, and then you became somebody who uh, people felt entitled to say made bad choices and was a bad mother. Wow, it's just, it's remarkable. It's, it's, I think you're giving us such an important glimpse into this. And actually, I'd like to jump ahead, not to, not to tell more of the story out of season, but to just say that uh, as, as listeners are listening to this, they'll, they'll discover that you have gone on in time to wind up working for the church. And I'd like to go back to that moment because there was a moment when you came in for your interview. You were a candidate that, that found the posting online and submitted your resume online. And so we did not know you personally when you came into an interview to work for a church. At one point, there was an interview question offered to you. And one of the interviewers asked, what is an example of a time that you faced a particularly hard challenge and found ways to overcome it? And you very generously uh, shared that you had a child your senior year of high school and that you figured it out and managed to go to college and then go on to get a master's in business administration. And then have, and you went on and as you spoke, I was so impressed by that and everything else you said in the interview. But when you walked out and we started to debrief the interview, one of the interviewers said, did you hear her say that she had a child her senior year of high school. She said, that is someone who can do anything. She's our woman. She's the one who is going to work for this church because that is a person who can handle any challenge. And I, I, uh, I thought I understood, I, up until talking to you today, I thought I understood how true that was. I now have a whole new level of respect for how true that was. I figured it meant that you're a good time manager and you were good at dealing with the unexpected. And no, 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 no. It's much more than that. Wow. Lisa, thank you. Thank you for generously sharing the, these these parts of that season with us. It's it's a big deal. And, and I think it's important now to for people to know that this story develops beautifully because later, now we're, we're, we're 20 years further down the road and you have found... 
uh, a wonderful life partner, your husband, Don, and you actually have blended a family. He, he too had um, children from a, a first marriage and you had your son and now together you have blended your families and had another daughter who is a, a delight. How did you find your way into blending these two families with all of the complications that come come with that? Um, carefully. I think um, slowly. You know, it's, uh, I think blending of blending families is a, you know, it's a, it's a term now, but you know, it, it's funny because it, it, no matter what, it always starts with broken, right? There's something mm. broken, <laughs> blending something that was once something else. It's, you know, in, in that sense, it was, you know, we had to reshape what family looked like for mm. our and for our children. And I think, um, you know, during the beginning stages of that, it was really difficult. You know, I used to think to myself, like, I wouldn't thought my worst enemy. It was really um, hard, a lot of emotions, a lot of, um, a lot of things, you know, going on. But ultimately, I think, you know, my husband and I always knew that um, the love we had for each other was special, you know, and it was, mm. it was, it was worth taking all of these risks for. Um, and we just kind of knew that if we, if we kept, if we held on to that, that we would have enough to, to get the kids to where they needed to be, you know, and it was just really, I think, clinging, clinging to that and always trying to strive for the, you know, just focusing on that love for the kids and, you know, keeping it as, as simple as you can during those complicated times. Um, but it's, you know, it's not easy. I think we, we succeeded by just doing that, loving them all equally. Wow. Wow. And, and what are the ages now, starting with your, your son um, is the oldest of the, of the kids. Is that right? He's how old now? So he's 22. And then, um, and then my, my husband's kids from his first marriage are now 19, and four, uh, 19, 16, and 14. And Willow is 10. <laughs> oh, that's a big family. It's a big, it's a big undertaking. And I, I'm so grateful that you said that a blended family starts with some sort of situation that's broken because that is, I think that's the whole reason that this series exists. Profiles of Endurance exists so that we can figure out what to do with the parts of life that aren't fitting together right and have the patience and the, the, virtue to see things through, to tend them. So I, I, I know that I'm going to take a lot from having you say slowly, you know, carefully, awkwardly, not easily. We blended these families. Um, it took a lot. It took, but it was the specialness of, of the love that you share with your husband that made it worth the effort. And yeah, it, it's, it's amazing because that specialness really has been tested in, in a lot of different ways because I, I can't imagine, it's funny to imagine how different it is. The two of you at one point worked at a corporate food uh, environment. You were, you were both working for this uh, um, organic food outfit um, in, in, in the, uh, the management of that. You wound up then with your blended family completely changing the course of your careers. And 
it, it's something that is, is kind of magical. I almost feel like for anybody who ever saw the movie Dirty Dancing, they have like a bit of a glimpse into what your life might have become like in a, in a certain amount. Anybody who's seen that movie that knows it's about summertime, um, summer camp, and and like the old-fashioned tourist culture in the Catskills of upstate New York. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you reinvented your whole career and in a way that required your family to live in such a different kind of existence? Yeah, yeah. So it was, um, you know, I said at some point, I, you know, my husband and I met at work and, um, you know, we, we were happy, you know, at this point we, um, were married and we got married and we had a baby and we were, you know, successful and, enjoyed that um company and that work but I think you know because of his marriage and my you know experience as a, a single mother with my son it was you know having our daughter together felt so different than you know anything before and for me it became really clear that um I didn't want to leave her. I didn't want to have to um, put her in daycare all the time to maintain my um, my career. You know, it, it just mm. I, I didn't I didn't get a chance to enjoy um, what it was like to be a mother, and I really wanted really wanted that. Um, and you know, my my husband had the same sense of you know adventure, I guess, of like let's huh. do. Something Let's do something else. And it was funny because it started um, on our honeymoon. We had a, like, fleeting thought um, on a plane on our honeymoon of, like, uh, which we did at Rainier in uh, Washington. We went, uh, you know, Ah. backpacking. And we were just like, yeah, wouldn't it be awesome to, like, run a little place, like, cabins in the woods like this? Like, you know, so you could live in one of these places all the time and just get to be here. And it was, like, a fleeting thought. Um, but then we went back to, you know, back home, back to work, and, you know, uh, almost a year goes by, I guess, before we decided to start to just have a thought. A thought popped in, like, wait, can, why don't we just do that? Can we do that? Like, can we just do that? Would that be possible? You know what I mean? It was just like, <laughs> and, you know, the thought quickly turned into some internet searches, and searches turned into, like, some real properties, and we knew that my husband's kids were living with his with their mother and they would see us you know every other weekend and vacations and holidays and stuff like that so we had that arrangement with them so we knew we couldn't go too far we needed to be within a distance of where we could still maintain that relationship with them uh so we looked at a map and we just kind of drew a circle and we said you know where's the greenest spot in that circle and it was the Catskills so we started to hone in in that area uh, and like I said, with internet searches, just picked up some properties and said, you know, it's like, can we do this? Like, should we do this? And we just kind of fell in love with the idea of, you know, doing something for ourselves and being able to have our family be part of that and not have to, you know, be on somebody else's timeline all of the time. So, um, so we did it. We did it amongst like a lot of um, people telling us not to, you know, we were, we were in a very good position where we were and it was thought of at like craziness you know why are you walking away from this um but we did it anyway and we bought a little place in Wyndham oh uh, in the, in the it was an old um a rent 
restaurant and um, cottages that were there and uh, uh, owner's residence. So it was an old property. The main building itself was over 100 years old. The cabins were built in the 60s, um, house, same 50s, 60s. Um, so it was older. It needed some work. There was nothing really going on there when we got there. We bought it from a family who owned it for 50 years. I've come to find out this is a common Catskill story. Uh, family, uh, you know, at some point the, the generation gets, you know, third, fourth generation gets tired and the business must be sold. So, um, there was no business there when we bought it. It was essentially just, um, you know, so it was, it was barely a pulse left in it. So we said, oh. you know, why not? Let's, uh, let's give this a shot. Why not? Let's give this a shot. You know that with a phrase like that, the next part of the story is either really inspiring or really hair-raising. <laughs> Do you want to know which it is? Well, you'll have to stay tuned for next week. Join us next week when we go to part two of this conversation with Lisa as she talks about entrepreneurship, about knowing when to make the shift that your life is calling you to, and about finding faith. All of those things are still a part of her story. So we hope that you'll join us next week. May God bless you.